أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله والصلاة والسلام على رسول الله وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته So um, thank you again for um, coming today It's always a pleasure to come back here And uh, the sound okay? So this, uh, this topic that we're going to be talking about the concept of light upon light. So, Nurun ala Nur actually means light upon light. And I've given, given talks about this uh, ayah before also, but this is something that we constantly need to remind ourselves of. And so, um, you know, I need this reminder before you do. And this is something that, by the way, you probably don't realize that the primary beneficiary of these talks is who? Who do you think? Myself first, <laughs> okay? So I come here to talk to benefit myself first because I'm, before all of you, I need this, these reminders constantly. And by forcing myself to come here once a month, I'm actually forced to study the Quran and prepare and research. And so it, in a way, forces me to stay connected with the Quran, right? And this is one of the, benef one of the main motivations behind me pursuing this, you know, uh, activism in teaching the Quran and you know studying the Quran so previously we've been talking about paradise now and then right paradise in dunya and paradise in akhirah Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wants us to be happy and and achieve inner peace in dunya and akhirah it's a win-win situation and we've talked about how the human being is made up of five elements right who can remind me what those elements are the five elements of harmony so the body, all of us know the body, right? Easy one. What are other elements that we are made of? Heart, very good. Ruh, nafs, and mind, very good. So these five elements uh, are what make up the human being. And what, what I wanted to emphasize when we talked about the ultimate self-development book is that the Qur'an is the ultimate self-development book. What does that mean? It means that the Qur'an feeds all five elements of the human being's needs simultaneously. Unlike any other book. When you read the Qur'an and you study the Qur'an and you connect with Allah's words, it feeds the mind, it feeds the heart, it gives you the values for the nafs, it cleans up your heart and fills it with love, and also... Allah subhanahu wa says that there is shifa in Qur'an, so even our bodies, right? So many healings happen even physically for diseases of the body and sicknesses of the body. And there's so many, uh, you know, narrations of that in the hadith where Qur'an actually heals diseases physically. So there's no other book on the face of this planet that, that can do this except the words of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That's what I believe is one of the miracles of this Qur'an. It's the fact that it can satisfy all our needs at once. And this is the gift of Allah to us, really. This is the gift that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave us. And it's there for us. It's a treasure that's sitting there waiting for us to use and benefit from. Right? So, this surah, surah al-Nur. You know, I've given a full talk on this in one of my Quran for Family series. I think it's uh, on YouTube, so you can check it out. It's a long three, four hour series, right? Obviously, we can't cover all of it. I've chosen one ayah today, ayah number 35 to talk about. But just to give you a, a quick kind of overview of the surah. So this surah is a Madani surah. What does that mean? It was revealed when? 
in Medina. So you know there's two types of surah. There's Makki and Madani. Meccan period was how long? How long was Meccan period? 13 years. Yes, 13 years. Quran was revealed primarily to talk about Tawheed, talking about the belief in Akhirah, the belief in the Prophet of the, of the Message of the Prophet and you know the, the Quran. It was mainly building the foundations, the foundations of Iman, which is three things. Belief in Allah, belief in Akhirah, and belief in the Risala, which is the Message, which includes the books, the angels, and the prophethoods. Okay? This is these, these three pillars of Iman is what makes the Meccan period, right? Once the Sahaba were ready, and by the way, were the Sahaba tortured during the Meccan period or no? Did they go through tough times or no? Yes? Went through pretty tough times, right? Some of them even lost their lives, right? Did the Prophet ﷺ retaliate? Did they resist? Did they resist all the torture that was happening? Yes or no? Why not? They didn't resist. The question is why not? Who can tell me why not? Sahaba were being tortured, some were being killed. Why did they, none of them resisted, none of them. Why? Come on, think about it. Why not? It's very simple. Tolerance. Why? What's the bottom line? Why? Very good, excellent. They were, they were not given the green light by who? By Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. They were waiting for the green light. Green light didn't come. Therefore, because see, for the Sahabas, what makes the Sahabas life so amazing is that they had the Prophet ﷺ as a teacher, as a guide, as a leader. Number two, they had the Quran also to guide them. And the ayat of the Quran were being revealed. And so therefore, what guided their lives? The Quran. What guided their choices? The Quran. Everything was revolving around the Qur'an, right? And so the ayat of resistance didn't come down, right? So they had to bear the, the consequences of whatever they were doing for 13 years. Then the command came, you're allowed to go. They, went, they did hijrah, they went to Medina. And this, according to some mufassirun, was revealed, this surah, surah al-Nur, was revealed in the fifth or sixth year after hijrah which is the time where Aisha there was a big scandal that happened. You guys know about the scandal of Aisha Yes, hands up for those of you who don't know anything about this, what I'm talking about. Okay, right, so some of the young boys here don't know, inshallah. So we'll do a quick summary of that. Basically what happened was the hypocrites of uh, Medina, they were kind of jealous, right? The Prophet came, Abdullah bin Ubay was the leader of the hypocrites, and so, what was the easiest way to break this message of Islam? To cause disruption to this message was to attack who? The Prophet himself. It's called character assassination. Because could they argue against the Quran? No, by the way. The Quran was so perfect in terms of speech that they all admitted that this is the words of Allah. We can't, we can't negotiate on that. Right? We can't defeat the words of Allah. Therefore, let's just do character assassination. Let's work on the character of the Prophet ﷺ. Let's attack the house of the Prophet ﷺ. And so they took an, a situation where Aisha anha was left behind during one of their journeys out in the desert. She lost her necklace and she was left behind in the caravan. And they left her. Accidentally, they left her. The whole caravan left. 
Aisha radhanaha was left behind and you know there was a sahabi who used to check on the you know the caravans like a day after he would just make sure and backtrack the caravans to make sure nothing is lost nothing is left behind and he saw Aisha radhanaha there and he helped her assisted her into coming back to Medina safely very respectfully very very modestly right but what did the hypocrites do? They took this, this incident of Aisha Ranha coming back to Medina with a non-mahram man. They took this incident as what? As a chance to accuse her of having an affair on cheating on the Prophet of you know, zina and all these things. Big lie. Allah calls it a big lie. Anyway, the Prophet went through tough times emotionally. You know, uh, Abu Bakr, the father of Aisha Ranha was hurt. There was so much, you know, there was a big fitna in Medina. There was confusion. Did she do it or no? You know, and everyone was waiting for Quran to come down to, to prove whether she did it or not. No one knew, right? Some Sahaba even fell for this and they actually accused her. Yeah, she probably did it. Okay. So anyway, long story short, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala revealed this surah to prove the innocence of Aisha radhanaha. In, in a couple of ayat, but in, in general, the surah talks about the beginning social laws to protect the modesty of a society. And do we need this nowadays? Do you guys agree? We need this so much, right? Modesty in society. You want modesty in society? Read Surah An-Nur. Okay? So the first part talks about social laws to protect modesty. Second part, which is a central ayah, which is ayah number 35, which we're going to talk about today, talks about ayat al-nur, which is a, a parable. You know what parables are? Like metaphors, examples. Why, does, why do teachers use examples in class to, to clarify a complicated concept? Why do they do that? Because, come on, speak up, otherwise you'll sleep. Easy to understand, yes. And a good teacher strikes amazing examples. And when you, when you get those examples, will you ever forget that concept? No. So Allah uses the same technique of striking examples. And subhanAllah, the word or the term striking an example. Darb al-amthal in Arabic. Darb literally means to strike. Amthal means examples. Why, why did Allah call it darb al-amthal? Why striking example? Why striking? Why not just an example? Because it's really powerful. Okay? It's like a big strike. And you will never forget this. Okay? So Allah strikes an example for Iman for us to understand. And why is this ayah in the middle of the surah? Think about it. Why is the ayah of Nur in the center of this surah? The surah that talks about social modesty. Why is the heart of the surah ayat al-nur? Why, why is iman the central ayah? Because you want modesty in a society, what do you need? What's the center most important thing? Iman. Okay? So the ayah is placed perfectly in the surah. And this is something that you have to appreciate about the Quran, right? Sometimes we read the Quran without really understanding the depth of the meanings and we don't understand even the sequence of the ideas. Even the placement of ayat in the Qur'an, the way Allah changes topics in the Qur'an, this is all divine teaching for us, right? It's not by chance that it was placed in the middle. 
there's a message that Allah is saying, listen, this is the center, focus on this. You want to solve the issues of social immodesty and immorality? Focus on the center. And then Allah contrasts, at the end of the surah, He contrasts iman with the opposite of iman, which is what? Disbelief and hypocrisy. Okay? He talks about the opposite of nur or light. Light is resembled by iman. What's the opposite of light? Darkness, okay? So inshallah, today we're going to talk about light, inshallah. We're going to keep it positive, okay, and talk about light. But the contrast of light is darkness. So you, you understand the overall theme of the surah? This is like a summary of the entire surah. Many laws, and I'll, I'll share with you some of the laws just to give you an idea, you know, of what the first part of the surah talks about. It talks about zina or fornication. You guys know what zina and fornication is? Yes? What does zina or fornication mean? Or adultery? What does it mean? Okay, great. Much better? <laughs> what does zina mean? All of you know? How many of you don't know what zina means? Okay, so zina is the relationship you have with the opposite gender outside of marriage. Okay? Either whether it's like... Uh, and we're talking about the bed relations, right? The deeper relations uh, between the opposite genders. Outside of marriage. So mar marriage is the halal way to enjoy your pleasures. The haram way is either through a girlfriend or by cheating on your wife. When you have a girlfriend and you're, you're basically enjoying yourself with a girlfriend, that's called fornication. Zina. And there's adultery when you cheat on your wife. Okay? And uh, again, so this surah talks about that right at the beginning. Imagine, surah to nur the surah of light, surah of iman. What's the first law that Allah talks about? Zina. Which means what? You want to destroy your iman? Go near zina. Allah says, don't go near zina. Why? You go near zina, say bye-bye to your iman. Okay? You want to protect your iman? Stay away from zina. Second you know, uh, ayah or second topic of laws talks about the false accusations that Aisha anha went through, you know. Don't accuse others, don't judge others, don't... And this happens so commonly nowadays, right? A WhatsApp message is sent to you about some rumor. What do we do first thing? Share it, forward it to our groups without verifying the source, without verifying anything, okay? This is a major disaster. What does it cause in a society? Corruption and immorality, okay? Then Allah talks about the case study of Aisha, the whole story is mentioned. You know how Allah made Aisha radhanha innocent. And what were the lessons learned from this, this case study of Aisha radhanha? And it was an example of a, a negative stirrup in a society where people were just, you know, gossiping and spreading rumors and talking about Aisha radhanha without any proof, without any evidence. Then... Allah talks about very interesting manners to have in society, like visiting manners. Like, you know, per asking for permission before entering a house. Just to make sure that, you know, the women are covered and there's, you know, appropriate mixing between opposite genders. Then he talks about lowering the gaze for both men and women. Imagine in Surah An-Nur, Allah is talking about these small concepts, right? Lowering the gaze may seem like a very... Normal and simple concept, but it's mentioned in Surah Nur. Why? You want to protect your iman? You want to protect the modesty of a society? What do, you, what, do you, what do you have to give a high weight to? Lowering the... Lowering the what? The gaze. Okay, and do we need lowering the gaze nowadays? 
what's out there around us. It's a lot of shamelessness, a lot of clothes becoming more and more transparent and, you know, uh, shorter and shorter skirts and less and less clothes on, right? So with this immodesty and immorality, whether it's on, you know, billboards, marketing billboards, whether it's in the shopping malls, whether it's on your iPhone or your Samsung, whatever, it's on TV, on satellite TV, it's in music videos, it's in movies, it's in video games now, right? Isn't immor immorality in, in video games also? Young, young guys would know about this, yes? And in schools, with, with stuff that you share with your friends, it's everywhere. And this is shaitan's biggest game. That's why this whole industry of immorality and shamelessness is a multi-billion dollar industry, right? Because it's so attractive and it's the easiest catch to destroy your iman, basically. Alright? So Allah talks about visiting manners, talks about lowering the gaze, talks about hijab and khimar. By the way, the word hijab is not mentioned in the Quran, it's called khimar, okay? Khimar, which is the covering of the women. Why? To protect this modesty, not of only the women, the modesty of the entire society. Because when the clothes come off of the women, what happens to the, the guys in the society? Everyone goes crazy, right? If she protects it, then guys can't do anything. Okay? And then Allah talks about marriage, He talks about prostitution and bedroom rules. That children need to knock on the door before entering specific times of the day. Before Fajr, Dhuhr time, and evening. And this is stuff that parents need to teach your children. You need to teach your children the manners of entering the bedroom. It's so sensitive. Okay? So you see how overall the laws are like so precise to this problem of immorality in a society. Okay? And right in the center comes the central ayah which we'll talk about today. The ayah of Noor. Which is again the topic of today. So the light... Of Iman. Allah draws a parable between Iman and light and Nur. Okay? And this ayah is known as Ayat Nur, which is ayah number 35. Okay? And why, does, why did Allah use an example again, like I told you? Because it's, it seems like a very complex ayah, right? When you read the translation, trust me, if you just read a, a, a shallow translation, you won't understand anything. Because it's going to talk about Allah's light being like a niche in the wall that has a lamp inside and the lamp is surrounded with a glass and that glass looks like a shiny planet and that lamp is being fueled by this olive oil that's from a tree that's not from the east nor the west and its oil is about to catch fire and light upon light and Allah guides to his light whomever he wants do you guys understand anything? <laughs> nothing right? because it's an example, right? So it needs explanation. Okay? So I just summarized for you in 30 seconds the entire translation of this ayah. But this is exactly what it is, right? So let's look at it one point at a time. Inshallah, by the end of the talk, you'll understand this ayah and you understand the depth of what Allah is talking about. And of course, for me to, to summarize the lessons of this ayah in half an hour is impossible. Right? We're just going to share some gems, not all of the gems. We can go on for five, six hours really on this ayah. That's how deep the lessons are. But I'm just going to share with you some gems of this ayah. So Allah starts off by saying, Allahu nuru samawati wal ard. Allah is the light of the skies and the earth. Now let's talk about light first of all. Right? What does Allahu nuru samawati wal ard mean? What, what's the significance of light in our lives? First of all, what, what's the opposite of light? 
Okay, so to understand the, or to appreciate light, what do we have to realize? Darkness, okay. So imagine the lights turned off completely in this room. How would we all start feeling? What emotions would happen in, in you? What kind of feelings would you have? Scared. Why scared? Why scared? You're right, but why? Why do we get scared in the dark? Especially our children, they, they're scared always to sleep. Like my children always tell me, Baba, please leave the bedroom door open a bit. Please leave the light on. Why? They're scared that the monster might come at night, <laughs> right? But why, why are human beings scared of the night, of darkness? Why? What's the psychology behind it? Loneliness, feeling alone, fear of the unknown, yes, and fear of being attacked, fear of being hurt, right? Like for example, if, if some guy was coming to punch you in the face, right, and it's light, what would you do? You'd avoid it or you'd stop him or you'd push him back or you'd kick him, right, or something. Hopefully, if you know some like Taekwondo or Karate, otherwise you'll run away, right? <laughs> but the least thing is you can react, correct? But if you are in darkness and someone's, someone has like these, um, what do they call it, night vision glasses and he's coming to attack you, can you protect yourself? You can't protect yourself, okay? So that's really why we're scared of darkness. We're scared of hurting ourselves. We're scared of pain. And so when light comes, that fear goes away. Why does it go away? Because we can now see. And therefore, when you see, what, do you, what are you able to do? React, protect yourself, right? You can protect yourself, okay? And also, darkness is a symbol of depression, isn't it? Think about it. Yes? Why are you feeling so dark? Why are you down? And usually, like, horror movies are recorded during the day or night. Always night, right? There's the werewolf and the moon and the, the scene is also of darkness and evil usually happens in darkness. When do banks get robbed? Usually at night when the security guard is sleeping, right? When do people sin? When do people go to nightclubs? During the day or during the night? That's why they're called nightclubs, right? Most evil happens during the night, okay? People go out Shaitan's activities start during the night. During the day, everyone's busy with work, with school. At night, when the parents go to sleep, what, do, what happens for you know, a lot of young people today? They have access to their phones, their laptops, internet connection. Parents went to sleep at 11 o'clock at night. When it's dark, no one's in the room, Shaitan comes in. That's where sins start, right or no? Everything happens during the dark. So Allah is saying, Allahu nuru samawati wal ard. You appreciate now nur? Yes? And by the way, whenever nur is mentioned in the Quran, it's mentioned in singular form, whereas darkness is mentioned in plural form, dhulumat. Interesting, right? What we learn from this is, there is only one nur, the nur of Allah, and that one nur is enough for you. Whereas dhulumat, shaitan's tricks, shaitan's ways are multiple. He has a thousand ways to get you into darkness. 
and Allah made light very simple. Allah made light very, very simple. You just access Allah's light, Allah's guidance, and everything is simple. Okay, shaitan is coming to disrupt our presentation also. <laughs> Darkness. So without light, we can't see. Can you see without light? Yes or no? Now you know something interesting about light or nur. Allah talks, Allah calls light nur and he also calls your eyes nur. Okay? So let's say it's completely dark here and all of you can see. You all have eyes, mashallah. You have eyesight. Can you see anything? Why not? Because there's no light outside. Let's do the opposite. Let's say there's extreme light but all of you are blind. Will you be able to see anything? No. So we need both to be able to see. We need external light and we need internal light. And this brings the topic of ayah in the Quran. Quran is made up of ayat. And what does the word ayah mean? Ayah means signs. Okay. Every single ayah has two dimensions to it. Remember this. Every single ayah has how many dimensions? Two. One is the physical or seen dimension, and two is the spiritual and unseen dimension. Alright? So, every, like the tree. If you look at a tree, that is an ayah of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Okay? The physical appreciation of the tree is what? That it's green, it has a trunk, it has branches. But what, are the, what, what should happen to you internally when you see a tree? Which very few people, by the way, think about it this way. But what should, what the, why does Allah mention trees in the Qur'an? And He mentions it here also, right? The olive tree. Why tree? Allah wants us to see the tree and not just appreciate the external seen beauty of the tree. He wants us to appreciate the spiritual beauty of the tree. Now there's many spiritual beauties of the tree. One beauty of the tree is... Through the tree, you can appreciate Allah's abundance. You know what abundance means? Unlimited resources, right? If you look at how one trunk, so many branches come out, each branch has so many leaves, there's enough for everybody. Even Allah draws the parable of sadaqah. You know when you give a sadaqah, it's equivalent to 700 times what you give. Why? Because one seed... You know, plants, multiple branches. Each branch has multiple fruits. And so Allah uses these parables and these ayat in the Qur'an through His creation, through the seen, to make us appreciate something of the unseen. Make sense? Even the stars. I'll give you another example. Stars. You appreciate the twinkle, twinkle little stars, right? You appreciate the beauty of the stars externally. They're amazing, right? There are planets, there are stars, there's galaxies out there that are shining, they're twinkling, right? So they're amazing creations of Allah, but what are the spiritual or unseen lessons behind stars? Who can tell me? Why does Allah swear by stars? There's an entire surah called Surah Al-Najm, the surah of the star. Why? Because stars, the Arabs back in the days used to use stars to be guided. Without stars, they didn't have GPS system back then. So they use stars as a means to navigate. So Allah swears by the star and He's drawing parables that just like you use the stars to navigate in your life, 
You need the stars of the Quran to navigate in your life. Each ayah is a star on its own that you need to appreciate. Make sense? Yes? So how many dimensions to an ayah? Two. What are they? Seen and unseen. What do most people think about? Seen. Inshallah, after today, you need to focus on the unseen. So just like in the seen world, you need light, you need eyesight to be able to see, correct? Similarly, spiritually speaking, if you don't have the light of Iman in your heart, will you be able to see right from wrong? Will you be able to see good from evil? Will you be able to distinguish what's good for you versus what's bad for you? Will you be able to make the right decisions? Why? Because your Iman is blinded. So as your eyes are so important, the nur of your eyes is important, the nur of your Iman is also important for you to be able to distinguish right from wrong. And why does shaitan focus on making you, dark, making you have layers of darkness in your life? So that you can't see spiritually. We all have eyes, alhamdulillah, right? Yes, we all have eyes. Shaitan has no problem with eyes. And he even gets us in trouble with our physical eyes. But that's a minor thing. What's the bigger thing shaitan's after? Making us spiritually blind. When you're spiritually blind, your heart will be filled with darkness. And when your heart is filled with darkness, you can't tell right from wrong. You end up saying the wrong things. You end up doing the wrong things. You end up watching the wrong things, hearing the wrong things, hanging out with the wrong people, making the wrong decisions. Why? Because you don't have guidance. You don't have nur. Nur is guidance. With nur you can see. With darkness you can't see. Make sense so far? Yes? Let's move on. So, Allahu nuru samawati wal ard. And by the way, is, how much do we have to pay nowadays for electricity to maintain light in our homes? Fees have gone up, huh? Tough times coming. So having nur is expensive, right or no? But the blessing of Allah is that He has given us just one sun. Appreciate the sun. One sun comes out, lights up the entire, entire planet or country, right or no? Do we have to pay any bills to Allah for the light of the sun? No, one, one light comes up. And we even use that with solar energy and so many resources. Also, light here is a symbol of the Qur'an. Because you know, before the Qur'an was revealed, what was the Arabian Peninsula like? There was problems, right? There was in, they were in jahiliyyah, ignorance. Ignorance is resembled by darkness. And then when the Prophet ﷺ came and the Qur'an was revealed, it's as if the sun came out. Subhanallah. So when Allah swears by the sun, next time you read in the Quran, right? Washamsi wa duhaha, the sun is a symbol of this light coming out after the darkness. The sunrise resembles the iman coming out after the darkness of the night, after the darkness of kufr and nifaq. Also, the sun is a symbol of life. You know what would happen to life if the sun was destroyed? Or if we didn't have sun? What would happen to life? Hmm? Science students, what would happen to life? What would happen to plants and fruits and vegetation and animals if there was no sun? What would happen? Destroyed. And what would happen to us if we don't have 
any, any plants or any fruits or any animals to eat, we would die, right? So the sun is a source of life. So just like we need the sun to live physically, we need the light of the Quran to live spiritually. You see now, ayah again, two dimensions to the sun, to the Quran. Just like we need the sun to live physically, we need the nur of iman, we need the light of the iman in our hearts to be alive spiritually. And if we don't have the light of iman, we could be walking and eating shawarmas and biryanis and all this. But spiritually, are we alive? We're dead spiritually. So you see how this dimension, these two dimensions will keep coming over and over again. And the sun also is a symbol for happiness, isn't it? Yes? Why? Because when the sun comes out, alhamdulillah, you're happy, it's the start of a new day, you wake up, you're fresh, right? And like I said, darkness is a symbol of depression and sadness and fear, right? And so, Allah is saying, that when you have the light of iman in your heart, you will be happy. And this is what all of us want. When you are in the dhulumat of shaitan, when you're in the darkness of shaitan, will you be happy? Impossible, right? And he will make you go through pain after pain after pain after pain. What was shaitan made of? What was he created from? What is shaitan created from? Anyone knows? Fire, right? And what happens to you when you touch fire? Pain. You feel pain. And so that is the objective of shaitan, is to cause you pain in this life and in the next life. The next life, the hellfire of Akhra, we all know about it. How... how Messed up it's going to be, right? But what's the pain of dunya? What's the pain of dunya? Come on. What's the pain and suffering of dunya? Stress, depression, anxiety, poverty, disease, marriage problems, all sorts of pain, emotional pain, psychological pain in your life is what shaitan wants you to go through. Allah doesn't want you to go through any of that. Allah wants you to be guided by His nur, to be happy. When you are guided by Allah's nur, you will be extremely happy and at peace. Allah will bless you with wealth. He'll bless you with health. He'll bless you with the best wife and the best relationships and the best children. Your life will be smooth sailing when you are in the light of Allah, when you're in the guidance of light. But when you are wrapped in the darkness of shaitan, that's where the pain and suffering comes. Why? Because you're blinded, you can't see, and therefore shaitan is attacking you from the right, from the left, from the front, from the back. Everywhere you're being attacked. Like a punching bag. Boom, boom, boom. Isn't that what's happening? Okay, are you with me so far? Okay, very good. So, Allahu nurus samawati wal ard. Let's go into the metaphor now. Mathalu nurihi kamishkatin fiha misbah. The example of his light is like a niche in which there is a lamp. Okay? Now, mishkat is the niche. And you, what, what is a niche? A niche is basically an opening in a wall. Back in the days, they used to place a lamp in this niche. Why did they put the, the lamp in the niche? Who can tell me? Why? There was no electricity back then. Why did they use this technique? Light spreads out, very good. Okay? It's usually elevated, so it's, it lights up the entire room. They didn't have lights or spotlights or any of that. So mishkat is what? Come on, stay after me. What's the mishkat? It's the niche. 
this exterior part here of the wall, okay? And what is misbah? The lamp, okay? This light here is called misbah. All right? The light, the light inside the lamp, basically. Okay? And then, so Allah is saying, مَثَلُ نُورِهِ كَمِشْكَاتٍ فِيهَا مِصْبَحٍ Now what, like I told you, ayah, right? Mishkat has a physical element to it and a spiritual element. What is Allah talking about here? What is that mishkat and what is that misbah? The mishkat is resembled by the, the body, the chest, which kind of looks like a niche, doesn't it? If you think about it. And it's as if that misbah, now who, who can tell me what misbah is now? What is that lamp or that light? Not heart. What's inside the heart? Iman. Iman, okay, faith. Faith lies in the heart. Okay, so that's the example being drawn here. Isn't that amazing? Yes? Allah is describing the chest like a niche. Inside there is a lamp. Now next he says, Al-misbahu fi zujaja. That that light is inside a piece of glass. Okay, al-misbahu fi zujaja. So there's there's light here. It's covered by what? Covered by glass. Very clear so far. Now Allah goes on to describe the glass. How is that glass? Allah says. And by the way, what does a glass represent? Where does Iman rest? In the heart. Say it, don't be scared. Okay? So it's in the heart. So Allah is saying that the lamp, the light of the lamp is the Iman, and it's covered by what? Glass. And that glass is what? The heart. Great. So now he's going to describe to us the condition of the heart. Az-zujajatu, which means glass. Ka'annaha kawkabundurri. That glass is like a shining planet, a shining star. So Allah is describing to us that glass. Is that glass rusty and dirty? Or is it shining and bright? Shining and bright. Okay, so imagine this piece of glass here. Crystal clear like they say, okay? That is the condition of the heart through which this iman is coming. And so what's the significance of shining glass? Number one, light spreads through it easily, right? When, there, when you have a glass that needs to be polished, it's very dirty, will light spread through it easily? Yes or no? No, very good. Number two, protection. Why do you need glass around that piece of lamp or that candle? Why do you need glass around it? Protection from the wind, very good. Because if there was no glass and wind came, what would happen to the light? It would go away, okay? Number three, Allah mentioned glass, why? Because what do we constantly need to do to our glasses? For those of you who wear glasses, constantly clean. If, if your glasses go blurry, blurry, would you be comfortable? No. Similarly, our cars, right? Regularly, we want to wash the cars, the windows, when it's raining outside or when there's a sandstorm. It doesn't rain much here. We have more dust than we do rain, right? So when it's, there's a dust storm at night, what do you do in the morning? You clean the glass, why? So you can see, okay? So constantly, Allah is saying this is made of glass, so you better make sure you're constantly doing what? Cleaning it and polishing it. And lastly, glass, is, glass are usually 
very delicate. What happens to a piece of glass if you throw it on the floor? So Allah is describing to us the state of the heart. Hearts are also very delicate. That's why the word, the Arabic word for heart is qalb, which means it keeps flipping and switching. Min taqallub. Sometimes iman is high, sometimes it's low. Sometimes you have nifaq, sometimes you have iman, sometimes you're very high spiritually, sometimes you're low. Sins, goodness, sins, goodness, mistakes, goodness, right or no? Istighfar, sins, istighfar, sins. Always changing. And this is normal, right? Okay? So you see the depth of the precision of the choice of the words in the Quran? Why Allah chose Zajaja? And so how many times are we supposed to clean that glass daily? At least five times. When? During Salah. You see the gift of Salah now? Allah has given us the gift of Salah as a system for cleansing our hearts, polishing our hearts, making sure that it's constantly polished and clear so that the light can spread. Not only spread, there's another element which we'll talk about soon. Okay? So five times a day minimum, guys. What are other things you can do to keep this heart polished? Hmm? I can't hear louder. Sunnah prayers, okay, nawafil, dhikr, remembrance of Allah, right? By the way, does dhikr have to be like this? Subhanallah, 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 alhamdulillah, 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 astaghfirullah, astaghfirullah. Can you just go on a walk in the park and do dhikr just by looking at Allah's creation? Can you be driving in your car and watching the trees go by and say subhanallah, subhanallah. Is Allah interested in the quantity of your dhikr? No. One subhanallah with quality is better than a thousand subhanallah just for the numbers, right? And nowadays we have those gadgets, right? Those, yeah. And we get happy. Mashallah, I did 3,000 today. How many did you do, right? Become like a numbers game, competition. So subhanallah, like dhikr doesn't have to be with your tongue. It's internalizing the meanings. You know, and I think I told you this before, istighfar, when you, when you say sorry to someone, you don't say sorry, 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 sorry. You don't do that. What do you do? So listen, I'm so, so sorry. I didn't mean to hurt you. Please forgive me. I promise I'll never do it again. Please forgive me. How many times did I say that? Once. But was it quality or quantity? Will it have an impact? Do the same with Allah. You make a sin, do one sincere tawbah is enough. You don't have to do 10,000 istighfar with no meaning, no internalizing. You guys coming here today is inshallah gonna clean your heart up. Inshallah even mine, right? That's why I'm doing this, like I told you. Need some cleaning up. That's why Allah made even Salat al-Jum'ah. Once a week, we need to attend a lecture. And the lecturer is supposed to be an amazing speaker who's supposed to boost your iman and polish your hearts. And then for those who don't come regularly for Jum'ah, at least on Eid, twice a year, you polish your heart. And for those who don't pray Eid, at least once a year you go for Hajj, you listen to the Hajj khutbah. But the, rea the sad reality is, do we get our ha hearts polished every Jum'ah? Is that happening? I don't want to get into why. Okay? <laughs> Controversial topic, right? 
But you guys know what I'm talking about. It's the best sleep of our week. Right? When the khutbah starts. We don't have the best speakers there. Why don't we have PowerPoint presentations going on in khutbahs to keep people awake? Right or no? We need to add these ideas. Okay? Some people might think these are crazy ideas or astaghfirullah, bid'ah, this, that. But come on guys, we need to benefit from the, the objective of the khutbah. The purpose of the khutbah is to wake people up, to remind them, to polish their hearts and boost their iman and wake them up. Get them out of the darknesses of the week into the light of Jumu'ah. That's why Allah, the Prophet said, you know, Surah Al-Kahf is a light for you for the entire week. When you read it with internalizing the meanings. And these constant, you know, small videos that you see, you know, some small daily reminders of Allah, of Quran, of some stories of the Sahaba. These are also mini polishing for your heart. You need them. When you're driving in your car, make sure you're listening to something beneficial. Clean your heart, right? Now we have, mashallah, you know, YouTube. You all have data on your phones. Get, you know, sign up on a podcast or watch, like, I don't know, read an ebook or something. At least listen to Quran. Although, listening to Quran, if you don't understand Arabic, you know, how much polishing is that going to do? Right? So, you guys. See what I'm talking about here? The importance of polishing and why Allah emphasizes this over and over again. And by the way, when we don't polish our heart, what happens? Then the prayers have no beauty in them. Then we don't enjoy our prayers. Then the prayers become a burden, becomes a difficult thing to do. Then reading Quran makes you fall asleep. Right or no? Then the khutbah will make you fall asleep. Okay? So this is the, the need of the time, making sure that our hearts are polished. And, we, and I'll explain to you why. Now Allah says, Allah doesn't stop there. Allah says this, light, this lamp, what do you need to light up the lamp? What do you need? Back in the days, if you remember those old lamps, what did they all have? They all had a piece of thread or a, a small rope, right? And what do you need inside that lamp? That rope needs to be wet with what? Oil, right? Oil. When you light the, the thread, what happens to the lamp? It lights up. So Allah is saying that this lamp is ignited by this blessed tree. This blessed olive tree that's neither from the east nor from the west. Okay? Why, why, why is Allah talking about this tree being neither from the east nor from the west? And why olives out of all all types of oils, because you have different types of oils, right? So olive oil is the purest form of oil. Okay? And olive trees, what's amazing about olive trees is you want the best form of oil, you have to find it from a tree which is being exposed to sunlight from all directions, from the east and the west. If you want a not so okay quality of olive oil, you go for a tree that is only being exposed to the sun from the east or the west only. What did Allah mention in this ayah? That this olive, this, sorry, this oil is from an olive tree that's blessed, that's neither from the east nor from the west. That means the sunlight is hitting it from all directions, which means you're getting the best form of oil. 
for this lamp. Okay? The best form of oil. Not only that, this oil wants to ignite itself. It wants to catch fire. Now what is this oil? What does it resemble? Remember, there's metaphors here being made, right? What does the oil represent? The natural fitra of the insan. Okay, you guys know what fitra is? The natural, you know, creation of every human being. And the Prophet ﷺ has told us that every human being is born as a Muslim, on the fitra, innocent. You know, in Christianity, some people believe that you're born with original sin. That's why you need to be baptized and cleansed. We don't have that concept. Every human being is born innocent. And then it is the parents and the school and the friends that corrupt the ch child. Okay, but we're all born innocent. That's why when the baby is born, what's the first thing we make them hear? Adhan, right? Adhan. Because they're on that fitra. They're on that fitra. And so this oil is represented by that fitra. That natural origin of the human being. That's completely pure, just like the olive oil. Okay? And all of us have that inside of us. And by the way, fitra is connected to your ruh. The fitra is connected to what? Your ruh. And who is the ruh from? The ruh is from Allah, right? When Allah created Adam, السلام, he blew into him his ruh. And so this ruh and this fitra, of course, these are things of the unseen, right? But we're just trying to understand a bit here. So this ruh and this fitra together make you extremely pure. Which in a way Allah is signifying what's here? That there is goodness in every single human being. There is purity and goodness in every single human being. Because every single human being, regardless of their religion, regardless of the color of their passport, regardless of whether they're atheist or Hindu or Buddhist, it does not matter. They all have this ruh. They all were born Muslim on the fitra. They're all pure. And therefore, Allah says, وَلَقَدْ كَرَّمْنَا بَنِي آدَمْ We have indeed honored all of the children of Adam. Allah has honored all the children of Adam. So who are we to differentiate? Who are we to hate and love? based on sect, based on color, based on religion, based on you know, background or culture. Every single human being has this fitra. Therefore, never ever give up on anybody. Never ever judge anybody. Right? What do we do when someone with a tattoo walks into the masjid? Astaghfirullah, this brother, his salah, astaghfirullah, never, never be accepted. Or, you know, People who walk, people who judge people based on whether they have a beard or no. Astaghfirullah, this brother, he has a shaved beard. Astaghfirullah, you know. He should not be praying with us. Or people who accuse people with beards of being too backwards and extremists also. Or you see a, a woman with a mini skirt. What's the first thing that comes to your mind? Astaghfirullah, this girl, she's up to some stuff. Right? She's never going to go to heaven. She's never going to be guided. I need to keep my children away from her. She's fitna. Right? We keep judging. What we're learning from here is that Allah is saying that there is purity in all human beings. And by the way, Abu Sufyan, wasn't he the, the chief enemy of the Prophet ﷺ? What happened to him after 20 years of da'wah? 
even he accepted Islam. And the Prophet ﷺ, after the conquest of Mecca, accepted his Islam. And we learn about this lady who was a prostitute who fed a dog some water. And with that small act, she was granted paradise. Don't we know the story? So there is goodness in all human beings. Do not judge based on religion. Do not judge based on color. Do not judge based on looks. Do not judge based on anything. We are not there to judge. Allah says in the Quran, إِنِ الْحُكْمُ إِلَّا لِلَّهِ Judgment is only for Allah to make. مَالِكِ يَوْمِ الدِّينَ Allah is the king of the day of judgment, not us. We got to be focused on ourselves. We need a lot of fixing to do ourselves. We have enough polishing to do for ourselves. We don't, should, should stop being concerned about others. Stop trying to change others. Wallahi, you cannot change others. The only person you can change is yourself. And when you change yourself, others around you will change. Okay? It's easy to try to change others. Most difficult thing is to change yourself. But you want others to change, change yourself. That's, how the, that's the formula. So this oil, Allah goes on and says that this, it, it wants to ignite. You know how um, for, you know when you're doing a barbecue, you put the oil on the charcoal, then what do you do? You take a match and you throw it, right? And what happens? It ignites. Allah is saying that this oil is so pure that it's, it wants to catch fire without even touching the, the flame. يَكَادُ زَيْتُهَا يُضِيءُ Its oil is about to catch fire. وَلَوْ لَمْ تَمْسَسْهُ نَارْ Even though the fire hasn't even touched it yet. Just like, you know, when you try to light a candle. What has to happen for the candle to light up? Physically, it has to touch, right? But this oil is so pure that it wants to catch fire just by, by the nature of how pure it is. You know, you've seen these highly flammable signs, right, in the petrol station. That's why smoking is not allowed, not only in petrol stations, <laughs> right? But specifically in petrol stations, don't smoke. Why? Highly flammable stuff there. Okay, it could, your car could catch fire. It could be dangerous for you. So Allah is describing this. Now, why did Allah say all of this? Of course, we talked about how pure the oil is. Now, let's talk about this one, one thing to flame up. It's so beautiful. This is talking about the, the human being's pursuit and his unlimited potential to reach perfection. This is what Allah is talking about. Every single human being, uh, all of us, we have this ruh inside of us. Which came from where? It came from Allah. It came from perfection, right? In the presence of Allah, it was in perfection. When it came down on earth into your body, was it in a perfect situation? Yes or no? No, it's, it's an imperfect situation. But that ruh has so much energy inside of it, so much potential... That it wants to constantly improve and do better and better and better. That's the concept of self-development, right? This ruh inside of us wants to reach that perfection. Why? Because it came from perfection, from Allah. Therefore, it will never settle for where you are. That's why, and this applies to everything, not just your spirituality, even in science. Why does science keep progressing? Because of this ruh. 
all credit goes to this ruh. Every single new iPhone that comes out, all credit goes to who? Not Steve Jobs. It's the ruh inside Steve Jobs who constantly wants to make a better phone. You guys see? Every new car that comes out, credit goes to the ruh inside the designer and the manufacturer who thought of making a better, faster, more technologically advanced car, more environment-friendly car. That's why athletes keep getting faster and faster and stronger and stronger. This ruh constantly wants to aim higher and higher and higher. And therefore, this is a call for all of us from Allah. That don't put yourself down. And this is supposed to build confidence inside all of us. That we have this ruh, we have unlimited potential. We have so much potential that we can reach the moon. And did the human being prove this? Yes or no? Yes, it's proven now. Human beings are capable of amazing things. And this is where inventions can come out of. This is what our youth need to be aware of, right? This potential inside of you, this flammability, highly flammable thing inside you, this ruh that wants to constantly pursue perfection. You see how deep this stuff is? Yes? Just in one eye, right? We're not done yet. So this unlimited potential, guys. All of you have this. You know, maybe your school teachers put you down. Maybe they say, you're dumb, you're a C student, you're no good. Mafifaida, right? Go back home. You're a loser. They're wrong. Sometimes parents do this. They put their children down. You're no good, your brother is better than you. Or look at your cousin, he's you know, A student, you're a failure. You're an embarrassment to this family. We put our children down, we put our youth down. Allah has given us this ruh, this amazing potential. There is no such thing as failing student. Every one of us has this gift inside of us, this talent, this God-given potential that if we use to serve this deen and to benefit in dunya and akhirah, wallahi, we will fly like this. Your life will be filled with happiness. But you need to know, you need to figure out what that potential is. It's different for all of us. It's really different for all of us. I, I figured out my potential so far. I think it is studying the Quran and being able to teach it in a way that people can understand. Even a seven-year-old can understand what I'm trying to tell, teach. So taking complex things in the Quran and simplifying them and making these presentations, this is my gift and I'm trying to use it to the best of my ability. Maybe 10 years down the road, I discover more new potential. Okay? Now if you ask me, did I know this 10 years ago? Would I know? Would I, did I know this? Did I know my potential? No. But was I searching for it? Yes. I was extremely hungry and searching for it. And this is what all of you need to have inside of you. This hunger, this willingness to figure out what is it that I am special at. What is this potential inside of me that Allah has given me and only me that I can use to become successful in dunya and akhirah. And don't tell me, no, 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 me, I don't think I have any talent. I don't have any gift. I'm a loser. Don't say that. Don't let your teachers put you down. Don't let your parents put you down. Every single one of you, Wallahi, every single one of you has this potential. But you know what the sad reality is? 
most people die, they spend their entire lives eating, drinking, sleeping, watching movies and dying without even realizing what this gift was. Waste. What a waste. Right? Why? Because they're living in a life of darkness. But with the nur of Allah, Allah will show you. And that is what ihdina sirat al-mustaqim means in salah. Ya Allah, show me that path of light that can get me closer to you. And we make this dua how many times every day? Minimum. 17 times every day. That's how desperate you and I need to be to figure out this gift. Make sense? So then Allah says, Nurun ala nur. This is the conclusion basically. So now, let's do a quick summary. There was a niche. Al-mishkatu fiha wat misbah. What's inside the niche? Light. What does the niche represent? All of you, please participate. So I know that the niche represents the chest. Inside the niche, there is a lamp. What does the lamp represent? Iman. And that Iman is covered with what? Zujaja, the glass. And what does the glass look like? The glass represents the heart and it looks like a shining star. Why did Allah say shining star? It's so polished, it's so clear. It's protecting it. It's spreading the light. It's fragile. It needs to be taken care of. And then what is that lamp lit by? That pure olive oil. From that tree that's neither from the east nor from the west. Extremely pure. That's the fitra. That's the ruh. And then Allah says that there is this fitra, this ruh has so much unlimited potential. And Allah says, when you are in that state, when you are taking care, you have taken care of your heart, that glass is clean, you've realized your potential, now you're ready to receive the nur of Allah. Nurun ala nur. This is when the nur is meeting another nur. Now the question is, what is Allah talking about? Light upon light, nurun ala nur. So there's two nurs here. What are these two nurs? So the, the nur coming from up is what? The nur of the Quran. The nur of the Quran is coming down. Nurun ala nur. There's, an, there's another nur that's receiving. What's that nur now? The nur of your ruh, the nur of your iman. When the glass is clean, the nur of the Qur'an will penetrate through your heart and will lighten up your iman. But when the glass is corrupt and dirty and rusty, no matter how much Qur'an you read, is it going to have access? There is nur coming down, but there is no nur receiving. Make sense? Nurun ala nur. And so, just like we need our eyes, which is our internal light, and we need lights like these lamps to be able to see. Remember I told you that example? You need eyesight as well as external light to be able to see. Similarly, spiritually speaking, you need the light of the Qur'an and your spiritual light, which is your Iman, 
to be able to benefit from the Qur'an. You need that heart to be in that condition. You need that ruh to be able to fed. Remember, what is the food for the ruh? What is food for the ruh? Remember the five elements? What's the food for the ruh? It came from Allah. Therefore, okay, to make it easy, what's the food for the body? Food, drink, right? Where does food and drink come from? From earth. What are we made from? Earth. Therefore, we eat from the earth. The ruh is from Allah. Therefore, its food is remembrance of Allah. Remember this. The food of the ruh is remembrance of Allah. Dhikrullah. And what is the ultimate form of remembrance of Allah? Salah. Why salah? Because we read Quran in salah. Quran in salah is the ultimate food for the ruh when you read it with meaning. Okay? And by the way, the Sahaba didn't sit down reading in Mus'hafs the Quran. If you think about it, right? When, how did they read the Quran? How did they enjoy connecting with Allah? How did they enjoy feeding the ruh? What did they do? Were they, did they have Mus'hafs back then? Like just try to imagine, Masjid Nabawi, all the Sahaba sitting, are they reading in the Mus'haf before Salah starts? What are they doing? How do they feed that ruh? Through the night prayer. Right? At night, when everyone's sleeping, they're enjoying their Salah. Why? Because they, they feel that food, they, they realize the importance of that ruh and that food that needs to be fed to the ruh. And they enjoy that nurun ala nur happening. You know when this nur ala nur happens, this is the best feeling ever. When you connect directly with Allah's words. This should be the pursuit of all of us. Is to be able to understand the words of Allah. You know, your, your salah and the Qur'an that you read in your salah, you're supposed to understand what you're saying. You know, try to understand these surahs, what they mean. I've done an entire recording of Juz Amma's tafsir on YouTube for free. Last Ramadan, we recorded it. Listen to it. Understand the meanings of what you are reciting. Then you will appreciate your salah. Then you, this nurun ala nur will happen. Then your heart will start getting polished. Otherwise, it's just going to be lip service, right? We're kidding ourselves then. No transformation is going to happen. So nurun ala nur. You need the nur of the Qur'an in your life to, be, to live on the path of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, on the guidance of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. You need external light and your own light of your ruh, your potential. You see the, the parables here? You need the Qur'an. You can't say, oh, my ruh alone is enough. I'm smart enough. I have a PhD. I'm, I have a gift. I'll use it. No, no, no. You need Allah's guidance also. Nurun ala nur. Both together is the secret formula to success. When you have the light of iman in your heart and the Qur'an and you realize your potential, that's when you will be on the sirat al-mustaqeem. So it's a balance, right? Of dunya and, or seen and unseen light. You need the help of Allah. That's why in salah, what do we say? Iyaka na'bud wa iyaka 
Nasta'in. Oh Allah, we worship you. We will try our best to worship you, but we also need to rely on you. We need that reliance, that balance. This nurun ala nur happens with that balance. And of course, if you are praying just externally, just for the numbers, then is that connection happening? Is the nurun ala nur happening? Is that, you know, nurun ala nur is like that plug being plugged into the socket. And the power goes on and the light comes up. The plug is the Quran, your heart is there to receive. When they both plug in, the light goes on, the nur happens. Your life will be filled with happiness and inner peace. And you will see the barakat coming in your life. The wealth, the happiness, the health, the family and the joy and the love in your heart and your life. This happens when this gets plugged in. But if the, if the plug is fine but the socket is burnt, will the, light, will the lamp go off? Will the lamp go on? If the socket is fine, the lamp goes in, it's going to light up. Allah's Qur'an is guaranteed it's going to work, right? You can't say astaghfirullah that the Qur'an is not going to work. So Allah's input is perfect. Are you willing to receive? That we are, the receiving problem is the problem, right? We as receivers need to polish ourselves and prepare for that Qur'an to connect. And so reality is that this is what our lamps look like nowadays. Do you agree? Lots of polishing to be done? Yes? That's why we're not enjoying Qur'an. That's why, you know, society is filled with immorality. There's cheating. Akhlaq are messed up. People are away from deen. Prayer quality has gone down. People aren't interested in reading Qur'an. Right? Why? Because this is, a, this is shaitan's game, by the way. To prevent that light, the nuran ala nur from happening. To prevent the light of the Qur'an from entering your heart. That's his game. And the best way to do this, and the easiest way is through immorality. That's why connecting it to the beginning ayat of immorality, shamelessness, that is poison for our hearts. It's the easiest way to, to get into the darkness of, you know, being away from Allah and into the shaitan's tracks. And so, you know, we are living in this materialistic world now where we're concerned about the cleanliness of our cars and the clean nails and women are going to the barbers and the salons and we brush our teeth, we wear clean clothes, but we let junk enter our heart, spiritually speaking, when we watch things that don't benefit us when we hear things and talk and gossip and backbiting and mockery and making fun of others and when we say things to others and hurt people with our you know hurtful words and say things without being considerate to others these things what are they doing to our heart darkness upon darkness absolutely so this the shamelessness that's on entertainment you have to be Careful what you watch. This is what taqwa is. Taqwa is protecting that heart from being corrupted. You know, and arrogance. Arrogance in your heart is complete darkness. Cannot go. Light and arrogance can't go together because arrogance is shaitan. Thinking that you're better than others. Anger, grudges. And you know, 
illegal relationships outside of marriage destroys your heart. And you ask the youth today, they're shy, but you ask them, how many of your friends have girlfriends today? Guys, out of 10, how many have girlfriends today? Of your friends? One out of 10 has a girlfriend? Mashallah, I go to a very nice school. Okay. So it's very common nowadays. Dating, all this. Disaster for Iman. And so you know how like... Um, in, in, uh, at night when you're sleeping and someone op opens the light, what happens? All of a sudden, what happens? You're like, hey, wait, close the light, what are you doing? It's annoying, right? Why? You cannot bear the light when you are living in a life of darkness. You get accustomed, you get used to the darkness. You get used to sleeping, you don't want to wake up. Then when someone talks about Qur'an and Allah, you're like, no, 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 stop, stop, please. I don't talk about that stuff. Don't talk about Qiyamah, don't talk about death, please, please. Subhanallah. So the other contrast is there then for the ayat that are coming later, darkness, and how people of darkness can't bear light, they can't stand light. Whereas for the believers, it's the opposite. For us, we should be in, in light all the time. And look at the beauty of Allah's creation. When the sun, remember when I said the sun is a source of light, of iman? What happens when the sun sets? What happens when the sun sets? What comes out? The moon. Subhanallah. The moon, which is a reflection of the sun. So Allah's, this, the moon is a symbol of Light even in darkness. The believer during the day, he, uses the, he benefits from the light of the sun. And at night, at times of darkness, he benefits from the reflection of the sun and the moon. You're always benefiting from light. And Ramadan is coming. It's around the corner, two months. What is Ramadan, by the way? One month training camp to do what? Cleansing that heart. Polishing, polishing, day one, day two, day three. Ten days go by, 15, go, 15 days go by. Then the last ten nights come. 27th night. Although, you know, it's not guaranteed that Qadr, but people tend to think it's 27th always, right? What happens in that last ten nights of Ramadan, guys? How is your level of khushu in your salah? How is the level of your connection with Allah? Your level of iman? Is it, does it go up or no? How come? Have you thought about it? Why does it happen towards the end of Ramadan? Because what have you been doing all along throughout Ramadan? You're cleaning up that heart. And therefore by the time the last 10 nights come, your heart is, alhamdulillah, now it's pure, it's clean. And therefore the Imam recites, you appreciate the Quran, even though you don't have any clue what he's saying. And then he makes dua and you understand a bit. And what happens? Tears start falling down your eyes. How many of you experienced that in one of the Ramadans in your life? Yes? What, you know those tears coming down? That is nurun ala nur. That is a sign that nurun ala nur has happened. And that feeling is the best feeling ever. Priceless stuff. So that is what taqwa is. And you know, I don't want to take too long here, but in a nutshell,
there is the nur of Allah and there is darknesses of, of shaitan. Really, that's the game. The more closer you are to the Quran, to the book of Allah, to guidance, you see with the light of Allah. The more away you are from the book of Allah, you are in the darkness of shaitan. You won't see light. You won't see goodness. So at the end of the day, really, my job is to remind myself and you guys. Wallahi, it is up to us to realize and decide what is a priority for us. Every single one of us ask ourselves, how big of a priority is the Qur'an in my life? This is the word of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. He promised guidance for us in this book. And He promised light in our lives from this book. And you know, besides believing the Qur'an, there's four other rights that the Qur'an has upon us. Rights that we'll be questioned about. So all of us believe in the Qur'an, right? Inshallah, we're Muslims. Reading the Qur'an, understanding the Qur'an, living by the Qur'an, and spreading the Qur'an. These are the five rights that the Qur'an has upon us. And the Prophet ﷺ on the Day of Judgment is going to complain to Allah. Ya Rabb, inna qawmi ittakhadu hadha al-Qur'ana mahjura. Oh my master, my people, these people of mine, they deserted the Qur'an. He's going to complain. So I don't want to be part of that group that the Prophet ﷺ complains about. Do you guys? Do you want to be part of that group who the Prophet is complaining about? Inshallah, no, right? So let us all, inshallah, make an effort and commitment to try to understand the Book of Allah, to try to live by its meanings, and to try to, you know, use it as a source of guidance in our lives. And let us protect our hearts. Wallahi, don't take this... Like my teacher used to say that... You know how like a, a mother protects a newborn baby? Yes? Every half an hour, every one hour, she's either feeding or changing diapers or burping, right? Constant care. My teacher said, you need to be so cautious of the condition of your heart, just like a mother is con cautious about the condition of a newborn baby. That's how protective we should be of this heart. This heart is the most precious thing in your life. Because this is what's going to get that nurun ala nur to come. If you expose it for shaitan and for shamelessness, then we have nobody to blame but who? Ourselves. So nurun ala nur. And in times of darkness, are we living in times of darkness? When you have nur in your heart, who is the beneficiary primarily? Primarily you, right? But who else will benefit after you benefit from it? Those around you. We are living in times of darknesses now. And Allah here is calling all of us to be that source of light for ourselves and our families and our societies. We have a responsibility here, guys. All of us, not just me, by the way. You all have a responsibility. This is the, this is the commitment we've made with Allah, right? When we became Muslim. We need to be that source of light for others at your own capacity. Start with yourself, with your wife, with your kids. Do your part. If every home did this, 
What would happen to our neighborhoods and our societies? Better, better, right? So we need to realize the importance of light in these times. Humanity needs this light. Muslims need this light and humanity needs this light. So this is really a call for all of us to you know, really wake up and realize. And Allah ends by saying, يَهْدِ اللَّهُ لِنُورِهِ مَنْ Allah guides to His nur whoever. Whoever wants to be guided. You want to be guided? Sure. It's an open invitation by Allah. And then Allah says, وَيَضْرِبُ اللَّهُ الْأَمْثَالَ لِلنَّاسِ And Allah strikes the examples for people. وَاللَّهُ بِكُلِّ شَيْءٍ عَلِيمٍ And Allah is the, full of all, all the knowledge. He's, he's aware and knowledgeable of everything. And that's how he concludes this beautiful ayah. By saying that, listen, I strike the example for you. Did you all get the message? Yes? Message clear? Example clear? I've done my part. Allah has done his part in this ayah. He concluded by saying, I strike the example. Now, it's up to you to act upon it. It's up to you to, inshallah, be aware of this beautiful example of the heart and the niche and how the iman lights up when the heart is polished and the potential of the human being and the ruh and its innocent fitrah and the beauty of the Qur'an meeting with the iman of the believer. So with that, inshallah, I'd like to conclude today's talk and uh, if you have any questions, please feel free to ask. Otherwise, we can jump for dinner, inshallah. Any questions? So if there are no questions, it's either you were sleeping, sleeping <laughs> or you didn't understand anything I said. Yes, we have one there. Waalaikum salam. Yes. Yes. Sure, so, you know, do it quality, quality. If you want to do a, a thousand istighfar with quality, be my guest. What I'm saying is at least do one quality istighfar. Let's do one first, then, then let's talk about a hundred istighfar in a day. Okay? Let's start with one, then we'll do two, then three. Work our way up. The Prophet ﷺ, what I'm assuming is that his hundred istighfar a day were all quality istighfars. Right? It wasn't quantity istighfars. He didn't finish in like 20 seconds. Astaghfirullah, astaghfirullah. He didn't do that, that, that way. I'm guessing. Allahu alam. But what do you guys think? You think he did it that way fast? No. So he did quality hundred. I'm saying maybe I, I don't have the capacity to do a hundred quality istighfar. What I'm saying is, let's start with one, at least. Yeah? Or five, maybe. With each salah, do one istighfar nicely. Yeah? yeah? Anything else? All clear? The light is clear now? Inshallah. Jazakumullah khair. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.